If I were to ask you, what is courage? You would accurately, for sure, maybe think of some examples. Like, I don't know, did you see the movie Hacksaw Ridge? Marvelous movie about Desmond Doss, a Seventh-day Adventist who had a, a conviction against carrying any kind of weaponry but wanted to serve his country. And so he persisted and fought his way through to have the right to go into battle with no gun. He was at Iwo Jima. He's the only Congressional Medal of Honor winner who is a non-combatant, and they attribute to his singular heroic act, 75 men whose lives were saved as he personally dragged each one and lowered them down a cliff. It's an amazing story, and, and, and rightly you would go, that's, that, that, that's courage. You, you, you could think of, um, of, of activists like Martin Luther or Martin Luther King Jr., both who were courageous men. I think about that guy in New Zealand who was the very first one to bungee jump. It doesn't matter how many times you've tested it. Somebody's got to go first. That's unbelievable courage. Or one of my favorite definitions of courage is from Woody Allen who says courage was the first man who ate a raw oyster. <laughs> courage, we think of as this sort of ability to overcome a self-preserving instinct. And it's true. Our mistake is we, we think of that as rare moments that primarily deal with sort of life and death in a physical, more physical way. But the opportunity for courage is available every day. It's going to confront you almost every day. I mean, we could turn to the Bible and talk about courageous people and Again, that same template would, would occur. You, you would think of maybe Gideon or Daniel or Joshua or Stephen or, or even the Apostle Paul. Today, we're going to look at a story in the Scripture that is a, a little less what I would call sort of teachy or didactic. We're not going to look at necessarily what the words mean and, and, and dive in that way, which is a, a good way to read the Bible, no doubt. But we're going to simply observe what I would call a, an act of bravery, but one that if we were here all day, you would never think of as a moment of great courage. To sort of set the stage, l let me explain a little bit about our awkward beginning. For almost three years now, I've been coming on a monthly basis, and um, I have, over these three years, I've experienced being loved and even liked by you. I kind of like to keep the streak alive. Like, I, I, I kind of like it. And one of the ways I intuit that I can do that is, is if I sort of, well, to say it bluntly, if I just do what you expect me to do, if I don't disappoint you, if I don't disappoint you, you will continue 
based on the trajectory we have now, to love and like me. And that is sort of this unspoken social contract we have. For example, I will, I will speak when I sit down. I'll smile at you. And I won't snack on communion beforehand. <laughs> These are, and, and now, now I, I know that, that, of course, this is a safe environment. But I can tell you, starting on Wednesday, thinking about how I wanted to begin our conversation today, I had a pretty good level of anxiety about it. I, in fact, I even wussed out. I was going to make us wait a little longer, but I couldn't take the awkwardness anymore. <laughs> I hate awkwardness, and especially when it's my fault. Actually, on a monthly basis, even though I feel very loved and liked and appreciated, I notice in me on Wednesday, I start sort of withdrawing. I sort of get sort of into my head. I'm thinking about what the experience will be like. My wife often will notice it and, and forget what's coming, and she, will, she just sees that I'm not quite there. I wish it were because I was, you know, just so worried that I was going to sort of do God right. That's not it at all. It's I'm worried often in the back what you're going to think of me. I believe that courage is sometimes disappointing the people that we love and care about. Courage sometimes sounds like no to what reasonable good people want from us. Let me share with you the story we're going to look at in a little different way this morning. It's from the life of Jesus. And it has to do with, as we read the scriptures, a, a, a family that Jesus is, seems to have a more intimate connection with than sort of other families. They show up several times in the scriptures. Here's their story as it is found in the book of John. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister 
and Lazarus. So when he, Jesus, heard that Lazarus was ill, he... Now here's some of the strangest words in the Bible. That in almost any other context would make absolutely no sense. And so when Jesus, who loves these people so much, when he heard that he was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. At a minimum, what was the minimum expectation that somebody might have if they were intimate and close friends with the Son of God? And they let him know, the Son of God, that the person he really loves is sick. And by the way, let's just make the true assumption, Jesus has all the free time in the world. He can do whatever he wants with his time. He's under no obligations. He does not have a meeting in the morning. He's not an impossibly far distance away. And Jesus, faced with the reasonable and good expectations of the people he loves, says, I'm going to disappoint you. I believe Jesus knew exactly how they were going to feel. I just try to imagine when the messengers came back to Mary and Martha, so did you, you, you told Jesus, yeah, we told him. You told him that Lazarus was really, really sick, deathly ill, yep, we told him. You, you, you made sure he knew it was this Lazarus. Yes. And what did he say? Eh. He's not coming? In everyday life, in your everyday life, I'm going to make a guess about the most common answer to prayer that you experience. And it goes like this. Wait. How many of us have requested of God, and God loves us. We know this. He's told us over and over. And we have the reasonable expectation that when we cry out to him, he will hear us. And when he hears us, he most often, in my experience, says, I want to I share with you something that a therapist shared with me years ago. She said this, trauma is often not the painful event, but the story we tell about the event. I'll give you, I'll give you an example. You, those of you who know me, you know I grew up in, a, in an alcoholic home. And growing up in an alcoholic home, there would be these moments. For example, if I happened to bring my friends home from school, there was a likelihood that my mom would embarrass me. A very common occurrence was that 
mom after she had been drinking at dinner there was this shift and she my mom would become mean and sort of turn on me and I asked my mom so many times would you please stop drinking now I'm not here in any way to talk you out of the pain of the trauma or that you've experienced. That's a painful experience for a child to have. You've got your painful story. But let me tell you what is far more painful than that occurrence. It's 25 years of me telling myself this story. My mom loved alcohol more than me. And I'm, I'm not worth really being loved. The, the facts of the story are what I first described to you, what happened, what my mom did, but what I told myself about what happened was my trauma and my story. I remember how all these stories sort of begin to, you know, they sort of intersect. Years ago, I was doing a, a fair bit of traveling and, um, and speaking and whatnot, and, um, and April was coming to pick me up at the airport. This was pre-cell phone days. And, um, and I remember these details. I can remember in the underneath part there at DIA waiting for her, and I remember almost to the minute she was 20 minutes late and I don't I can't remember all that had happened that weekend or what was going on I'm sure I was tired and spiritually emotionally drained or, or whatever it was but in the time that I was expecting her to be there and in the 20 minutes that I waited for her to pick me up this story began to to get momentum in my head the story that I'm not worth being loved I know it sounds crazy it's crazy to you but it's not crazy to me in the moment because I was so convinced of my story that April did not really love me because she was 20 minutes late and she and I had all this and so when I opened the door before she could say anything and she could feel my coldness she could feel my anger and man I lit into a fight you cannot imagine As a matter of fact, if you were to dissect all of our big fights, I'm sure to you they would be crazy, and as I think about them, almost all of them are rooted in a story I'm telling myself that I am clinging to because I believe the story is true. If the story is in my head, it must be true, right? Why, why am I, as I'm reading this, and I'm experiencing Jesus, and I'm overcome with, he's so brave. Because Jesus knew that they would tell a story about why he didn't come. The enemy yeah, this world, flesh, devil, cocktail, is a master story whisperer. 
and in the gap between our request of the God who says he loves us and his intervention. Often the, the story deceiver will whisper in our ears that the reason God is waiting is because there's something wrong with you. You, you, didn't, you didn't really ask in the way you're supposed to ask. Like, and you, you, begin to, you, you, you begin to have that anxiety about it. What's wrong with me? Did, did I forget to tack on in Jesus' name? Did I, did I not, did, did I, was I kneeling when I asked? Did I not do enough kneeling? Did I not pray and ask enough times in a row? Maybe I should fast. What if I, if I fasted? Then maybe, maybe something would happen. I, I, I confessed every sin. I, I made up a few sins just to make sure I was good, and, and I got all those out, and... and Oh, but there's a couple in there I don't really want to talk about, but maybe he didn't know. But you see, and so we become plagued that there's something wrong with me, but, at the, but really beneath it is not the formula. But maybe I'm not really lovable. I, um, I think the... The deceiver will also tell us stories about God. Maybe he's not so powerful. Maybe he wants to intervene, but he's, he's limited by the laws of physics in, in the world. The one that is most common for me, this is crazy, it is rooted in this childhood story. God has his favorites. I mean, he, he loves you. Yeah, he loves you. It's on his business card. That's what he has to do. He's sort of obligated. But he has his favorites. And you're not one of them. We're, we're not going to have time today to look at every part of this marvelous and fascinating story and one, one angle on this story is this, this theme that I believe of courage that occurs but in the midst of this story in the midst of this in between of these two days Jesus has these words to sister Martha I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha, do you believe this? What have we heard it this way? Martha, while you were waiting, what story were you telling yourself? What story did you keep repeating? And was that story the true story that goes like this? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. What story, what good story 
is the real story. I want to pause once again for an awkward moment. I'm going to ask actually the band to come up for a few minutes. And, and here's what I'd like for you to do, and you can do this while listening both to the band and processing. I want you to process this. As you have waited, perhaps, for God, as you have felt your pain and your traumas, what story have you been telling yourself? And what story is true? Just think about that just for a few moments.
How many times have I said yes to those who I love and want to be loved by, not because it was right, but because I was so afraid of the story they might tell about my no. And how marvelous that Jesus, fully human, has the courage to trust the story we might tell. The other moment of great courage, Vince uh, sort of prefaced for us. At the end of this little story in verse 32, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Ah, there the story is. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. If, if you, um, as a kid, ever went to Bible camp, you know, Bible camp, you got points for how many verses you memorized, and I guarantee every one of you memorized John 11.35. When you hear those words, Jesus wept, there is a question that is screaming inside of you. What is the question? I heard somebody whisper it. Why? Why? It screams at us. I'm not going to try to answer the question. In fact, there is something about that impulse I have to ask why that is revealing to me. About why is why so important? You see, I think even though none of us would maybe own up to it, but deep inside, we believe that there is such a thing as bad tears. There's like a wrong answer to that question. That like we have to know the reason for the tears so we can validate that yes, that's, that's, that, that's okay. That you can cry about. I, I'm, that's good. I'm glad about that. We, we have this, this sense that there is a, a threshold at which you can then cry. Why are you crying? I need to know. So I can fix it and you won't cry anymore because crying... Well, that's bad. Back to that, that dinner table as a 12-year-old kid, and I'm this fairly sensitive little boy, and my mom would, would be drunk and, and say something mean or angry, and I would begin to cry, but honestly, I didn't have the cognitive ability to process why I was crying. I can just remember crying, and it really bothered my stepdad who felt I had no good reason to cry. So he would say to me, what? Do you want me to give you something to cry about? To which I never said yes, please. Never once. Which did not stop him. Or in a more benevolent mood, they might simply just send me to my room. When you're done crying, then you can rejoin the family because you're 
well, your tears are bugging me. They didn't say it that way, but that's what it was. I think it takes enormous courage to just feel. And Jesus, fully human, weeps. Here's what's interesting. Put yourself in that moment. People are watching. You're the Son of God. Lots of expectations. They've confessed that he's the Messiah. And he's weeping. Do you notice he doesn't do what we might do? He doesn't explain it. He doesn't tell them why. He doesn't seem embarrassed. I remember tears are just weird, right? I'll give you this. I could be wrong. I don't think there are any bad tears. I don't think there's a wrong reason to cry. I don't think there's any way you can manage that. I don't think it's worth any effort trying to. I think getting rid of the story that there are appropriate and inappropriate tears is, is a bad story. I'll just say that's my opinion. I remember when I first met my granddaughter. I think maybe I've shared this with you. I was about 15 minutes late getting to the delivery room because I had to fly into Jackson and then Jackson, Wyoming, and then I had to drive two hours to the hospital where the birth mother was. And I, I was kind of in a hurry running and I, I knew that the baby had just been born because it was now cell phone days. And I came through the door and there is, there's the birth mom and her party and there's my daughter and my son-in-law and, 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 and their group of friends and then they're holding this baby that I have waited for for so many years. And everybody is smiling and laughing. This is a room filled with joy. And as soon as the door opens and they place Frankie in my arms, I begin to sob uncontrollably. Now, I'm not saying, nobody would think a few tears are inappropriate in a moment like this, that some people are like that. That's not the kind of tears I'm talking. I can't talk. I can't breathe. I'm holding this baby. And I'm not talking about two, three, four minutes of it. For 15 minutes. And do you know what I, my instinct was, what I kept doing? I kept walking out of the room to see if I could compose myself get my Kleenex, I'd walk back in. It just starts all over. I walk back out. No judge, I'm just saying, my instinct was to be embarrassed because I couldn't control it. I'm just, all I'm, all I'm doing is observing in Jesus things that I wish were true in me as it relates to courage. I wish I could say no sometimes. And I wish sometimes I could just feel but I spend so much energy trying to either explain it or quite frankly numb it. A lot of you may not know that's what's happening, but think about the behavior that you return to often, that you find no life in, but you keep going back, you keep doing it, you keep somehow driven to watching hours of Netflix or 
drinking just too much or weed or whatever it is in your life, I don't know. Let me tell you what I think you might be doing. You're so afraid to feel the pain. And Jesus doesn't avoid it. He just cries. I'm going to invite you to, I know you want to know why. You would love to hear a great explanation. I'm going to invite you just to sit for a minute that Jesus is weeping. And you don't have to know why. The good story he tells is that he is always with us. I remember back to Bible camp and I was a counselor teaching kids this from the book of Hebrews, I think chapter 13. I will never leave you. Who's that thumb pointing to, kids? Me. That's the incarnation for us. As we uh, close, let me finish this story. I'll invite you to process your own courage and retell the true story about the God who often says to us, wait. Then then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against, and Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Can I just pause for a second? Like, can Jesus just not win in this? Like, they're upset at him for waiting, And then you get the feeling she's kind of upset that he let Lazarus die, and now he's trying to resurrect him, and she's a little bothered by that. But Jesus persisted. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. His feet and hands were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The words Jesus says to us, you are unbound. You are alive. What's the, what's the true story that we tell? The true story is this, that on the night that he was betrayed, he he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat this. And in the same way, he took the cup, saying, this is the, these are both brown. I just want to tell you that. The bottom's brown on the that, That's it, okay. 
because this is the wine. This is the blood of the new covenant. Here's the true story. This is not the story that will be whispered in your ear. This is not the story that is going to come from some instinct within inside of you because this is the true story. The true story is it's not up to you. There's nothing you can do. The true story is Jesus did everything needed for us. And that is the story he wants us to tell ourselves and to each other. In the white cup is the juice. And on my right, there will be a uh, gluten-free and juice option for those of you who need that. And there will also be some people standing here at the front who would be willing to pray with you, to maybe help you tell yourself a good story. It says on that night that Jesus, before he did that, he thanked the Father. Father, thank you for the good news. We invite you to come. Since then, we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let's hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen.